The saying goes that the quickest way to the postseason involves consistently securing wins in your division. So we're taking some time to zoom out and look at the AFC East and where Miami's rivals currently sit as they also prepare for the start of the 2024 NFL offseason. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami, welcome to another episode of Locked on Dolphins. It's your team every day here on the Locked on Network. I'm your host, Cal Krabs, a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, host of Locked on Dolphins, co-host of Locked on NFL Scouting. You can find our shows on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Tip of the cap to our everydayers because it is your team every day. We don't just say it. We live it here on the Locked On Network. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. It's $150 if your bet wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. We have begun the process of prepping for the offseason, which starts in about a month. You know, we're, we're already there. It's about five weeks away. NFL Combine will be here in about two weeks. And uh, the, this lack of offseason that the NFL has really mastered with all of the major hurdles just leads build up major event, build up major event. And uh, start of the first wave of free agency is one of the hallmarks of the annual offseason. So as we continue to work through our process of prepping individually for the Dolphins and all the things that they have to do and achieve, and there's plenty of work to be done, it's also worth a moment to understand what's going on around you uh, because you are competing directly with teams for divisional standing and conference standing and league superiority. And Miami specifically has three divisional rivals in the Buffalo Bills, New York Jets and New England Patriots that are all at very different junctures of their own respective team building. And Miami parallels one of them fairly uh, similarly. Our objective is to outline each of these three teams because the perspective of what's going on across the league gives you a better understanding of what the Dolphins are doing, what the Dolphins are going to try to do, why they're going to try to do it, and where they're at in their respective life cycle and how cyclical this is when we say it's cyclical. I don't just say that to say it. It really is, unless you're the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, there's a, there's a buildup and a cycle. and the teams in the AFC East are at very different points of their respective life cycles. The Buffalo Bills are, are the team we're going to start with. It's a team that won 11 games. Uh, they played in the divisional round of the AFC Conference playoffs, losing to Kansas City as the two seed. Uh, they finished the season with the same amount of wins as the Miami Dolphins. The big elephant in the room here is this is the puzzle the Dolphins have to solve uh, because this has been the blockade from the Dolphins being uh, one of the top five or six teams from a record perspective over the last three NFL seasons, two, last four NFL seasons. Uh, really, the difference between Miami being where they are as a top 10 team from a win-loss perspective to a top five team from a win-loss perspective is the lopsided outcomes against this team from Western New York. So uh, what I've done is I've used over the cap and you study the contracts and the salaries and the distributions and all that stuff. The point is, I want to outline where the Bills are at. And then we're going to outline where the Jets are at. And then we're going to outline where the Patriots are at. 
Buffalo, like Miami, is currently $51 million over the projected salary cap for the start of the league year in about a month. So Buffalo, like Miami, has a lot of work to do. Now they have some levers to pull, but there's some complicated dynamics with some of their levers. There's some different ways that their money's tied up. There's some contracts that I think are uglier than anything that the Dolphins have on the books. So here's kind of the pathway for Buffalo to get cap compliant and where it ultimately should put them. Uh, they could move on from both Von Miller and Tredavious White, uh, but those are post-June 1st candidates. So again, you don't see that cap relief until June 2nd. Uh, Von Miller, you could cut post-June 1st to save $6.7 million in salary cap space while also incurring a $17 million dead cap uh, in the 2024 season for him to not be on the books and then also have dead cap in 2025. That's a very ungracefully aging contract considering Von Miller was a healthy scratch at times at the end of the year. So it's Emmanuel Agba contract on steroids. <laughs> it's really what it boils down to. Now, Tredavious White, there's a corner. The Dolphins have a corner. That's a post-June first cut candidate. Uh, Tredavious White, they could save $10.2 million post-June 1st with $6.2 million in dead cap. But the complex part there is Tredavious White's coming off a torn Achilles. Maybe, maybe that makes it more, all that much more simple. Um, I think their best cut candidate for somebody who's under contract is probably Naeem Hines. They could save over $4.5 million. They have three players that are contracts with void money. And I don't know how good the outlook is for the, the Bills to get any of these players back. And it's, a, it's about $9 million in cap space. So it's not a small amount. Uh, Daquan Jones who was a really good interior defensive lineman for them. He's on my free agency board for Miami to potentially target if Christian Wilkins walks. Uh, the Bills are going to be on the hook for $1.8 million for money paid in the previous contract for him to not be on the team this year. And that's the strategy of void years, and that's that's the risk you run if the player doesn't get re-signed. Uh, Micah Hyde, safety. He's been a long-tenured starter there since Sean McDermott and company have got there. Uh, he's got a $3.4 million void hit for 2024, and he's contemplating retirement. It sounds like retirement's very much on the table. And then Leonard Floyd, who was a one-year free agent signing by the team, I think he signed for $9 million, uh, $4.37 million in void money this year. So a dead cap hit effectively of $4.37 million. And Leonard Floyd's already come out and said, I'm going to go where the money is. Buffalo has levers in the same way that Miami does restructures that they can exercise. Josh Allen's contract can save you $23.1 million. That's about half of what they need to get cap compliant. So that's when you go for big quarterback contract and you understand it's going to be a year over year thing. You understand this is your guy. You'll always have that lever baked in unless you choose to structure the contract differently from the beginning. That's a different conversation for Tua Tagovailoa for a different day. The point is, almost half the salary cap space Buffalo needs, they can get from exer exercising a max restructure of Josh Allen's contract, which is a no-brainer. He's going to be there long-term. Uh, Stephon Diggs, they could save 13.16. The complicated thing there is, is Stephon Diggs good? Is Stephon Diggs cool with how quiet things became down the stretch and the new offense. And again, it was last off season. There was some murmurs about being unhappy with the situation or how the season ended the previous year or whatever. So 
do you want to restructure a contract if you don't have a lot of confidence that there's uh, long-term stability there? And if they traded Stefan Diggs before June 1st, uh, they would actually lose an additional $3 million against the cap. So uh, you would think logic would dictate we're, we're probably going to restructure Stefan Diggs and he's going to have to be okay and cool with everything that's going on. Deion Dawkins, they could save about $6 million. Dawson Knox, they could save about $6 million. Rasul Douglas, who they acquired at the trade end last year, you could save about $6 million as well. Uh, Ed Oliver, who got a new contract last offseason, he's about $4 million. And Connor McGovern, who was a free agent signing for them last year on the interior offensive line, is also about $3 million. Exercising all of this for Buffalo gets them to $16 million in cap space. So not including the Von Miller, Tredavis White, cuts because those are post June 1st for the first wave of free agency. You got to restructure Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Deion Dawkins, Dawson Knox, Rasul Douglas, Ed Oliver, Connor McGovern. It gets you to $16 million. Then on top of that, here are the expiring contracts. The bills have, it's not daunting. The dolphins, I think have a more daunting list of expiring contracts, but I also think the dolphins have more fluidity uh, at this point in time for the, for this first phase of the off season, Gabriel Davis, a wide receiver, couple of defensive ends, A.J. Epinesa and Shaq Lawson, who are big-time parts of their rotation. Interior defensive lineman Jordan Phillips, Daquan Jones, Puna Ford. So a lot of the teeth of the interior defensive line, other than Ed Oliver, kind of similar to Miami's situation. Uh, Leonard Floyd, who we already mentioned, is a, a void contract. Uh, David Edwards, a utility offensive lineman. Uh, they signed him last offseason. Didn't kind of stick with a landing spot for a starter. Uh, and then Micah Hyde. So you're looking at $16 million in operating cap for the first wave of free agency for Buffalo. Davis is probably gone. Daquan Jones is probably a player they'd like to figure out. AJ Evanessa is probably a player they'd like to figure out. David Edwards and Puna Ford, I could see being players that they'd like to figure out, but it's that's none of those are really big money players at this stage. Now the bills could still uh, exercise a few contract extensions in the same way that we've kind of talked about. Miami could do with Jerome Baker who has a uh, bloated salary cap hit this year, but he also has like a $9 million salary that if you were to restructure or extend his contract, you can convert all of it to a signing bonus and that could drop by six, $7 million. So like you could cut Jerome Baker's cap hit in half with a contract extension. The Bills could do some of the same thing with Matt Milano, Teron Johnson, and Mitch Morse, who are players who... Although you know, Milano's 30 coming off of a, a season-ending knee injury. Mitch Morse is 32-year-old center. Uh, Teron Johnson's a 28-year-old defensive back. He's a nickel. There's a little bit more longevity there, so you feel better about him. They could do this with each one of them and save between 3 and $5 million a piece. So realistically, I think Buffalo could get to about $25, $28 million uh, for the first wave of free agency if they empty the chamber. Miami can get to more than that. I think we, we've talked about Miami being at 20 before you make a decision on Jerome Baker, before you extend to a Tonga Valoa. Now, again, Miami has more daunting list of expiring contracts. So there's some give and take there. But both of these teams, as win-now teams, high expectations their life cycles kind of mirror each other as far as their salary cap situations and how they're going to have to manage the cap and how they're going to have to roll in transition. 
and what their their ideologies moving forward are going to look like. So it's very interesting when you consider. And then if they did choose to move on from both Von Miller and Tredavis White, uh, they could open up an additional $17 million in cap space post-June 1st, which is about what the Dolphins could realistically get for Xavier Howard. So I kind of expect these two teams to mirror each other as far as how much money they're over the cap right now, how much cap space that they can open up for the first wave of free agency, and then what that next wave after June 1st realistically can look like. I expect about the same amount of dollars to open up from there. It's what do you do with that and how do you maximize that that for both of these teams is, is going to be really critical for the, the pecking order uh, in 2024 and potentially 2025. We're going to convert uh, over to the New York Jets next here on Locked on Dolphins. Kind of a, a look at the state of the affairs across the division. That's next here on Locked on Dolphins, so stick with us. DoorDash went all out for the big game on Sunday, and DoorDash stuff from all of the ads to one lucky winner, cars, snacks, even tax software. And while I am a little disappointed that I wasn't the one that had my doorbell ring with all of that stuff, it is a nice reminder that you know pulling this off, one heck of a delivery. And DoorDash has you covered as the all-in-one app for all of your everyday needs from restaurants, groceries, flowers, gifts, so the next time you're running low on dinner ideas, pet supplies, or just time, you can get so much more out of DoorDash than you realize delivered. Football season may be over, but we're back in the thick of basketball games, the school year. Let's face it, winter. It's snowing outside my house right now. I don't want to go outside, so if I need something, DoorDash is probably going to get the call. You can think of a million reasons daily to order DoorDash. Hop on the app and make your day a little easier. DoorDash, your door to more. Head to DoorDash app and get everything you need delivered today. So New York Jets are a team that was supposed to be in a win-now window. And they're not. Uh, or they, they weren't last year. I think they're going to position themselves to be highly competitive and free agency. And I've outlined all the things that the Bills or, or that the Jets can do. It's not as obvious in some ways, it's more obvious in other ways. Uh, they are currently four and a half million dollars or four point nine million dollars under the projected salary cap. So while Buffalo and Miami are living in a stratosphere of fifty million dollars plus over, the Jets are five million dollars under the salary cap. They have a couple of cut candidates, but not really. Uh, they got kind of a young nucleus of the team now. The defense has a lot of older pillars. But a lot of guys they've, they've made recent in investments into because of how good that unit has been. A couple of tight ends, C.J. Uzoma and Tyler Conklin. Uh, each one of those guys about $5 million in savings if they want it. Zach Wilson, we've, we've heard there's going to be a move on there. Can they find a trade partner for him? They can only save money if they trade him uh, because he's due a bonus and a salary that's fully guaranteed. Uh, you can find somebody to take Zach Wilson off your hands you could save about $5.5 million in savings there. That's really their like cut slash move on candidates uh, that they have at their disposal. But that's $15 million, almost $16 million. So it's, it's not a small chunk of change if you can do it. And there's nothing there that you feel like was definitive contributors to the team. I know Conklin uh, has been a nice player, but they, they have another tight end. And Jeremy Ruckert, who they drafted. So do they want to continue that transition and free up the cap space for potentially a wide receiver opposite Garrett Wilson 
or some of the 10 offensive linemen it feels like this team needs. Um, backup quarterback sounds like they're going to be investing in. Woody Johnson, the owner, came out and said, yeah, we didn't have a backup quarterback last year, which is a pretty interesting shade to, to cast at the quarterback that you dropped in, drafted in the top three. But that's neither here nor there. I digress. Uh, the Jets actually have more money in voided years than what uh, the Bills do. Carl Lawson, $6.3 million in dead money. He, it's void dollars for money that's already been paid to him, but they distributed it out across several seasons. Uh, so that's off the books. Uh, Dwayne Brown, $4.73 million. Jordan Whitehead, $3.3 million. And Quentin Jefferson, an interior defensive lineman at $1.5 million. So in all, it's about $15 million in dead money for the Jets for void for expiring contracts that they, they got to be prepared to take on. So maybe that's part of your offset is if you can move on from Azoma, Conklin, and Wilson, you can offset all that dead money for the Jets. They have a ton of restructurability. Uh, I don't know how many of them you want to do. DJ Reed saved $7 million at corner. That's, that's probably a no-brainer. Quinn and Williams, you could save $10.6 million with a restructure. He just got a market contract last offseason. That's probably a no-brainer. John Franklin Myers, you could save $9.2 million. CJ Mosley, you could and save 10 and a half, but that's a 32-year-old linebacker who's got like $17 million salary this year. Do you want to go down that pathway for the Jets? I don't have a good answer but you could theoretically do it. And he's turned into quite the nice player for them. Uh, Lakin Tomlinson's the other one who's been okay, but he's a 32-year-old interior offensive lineman. The challenge is he was really the only interior offensive lineman that played for you last year. So it all comes down to the ideology of the Jets. Do you want to kind of toe the line between, well, we got Aaron Rodgers and these $35 million roster bonuses that he's going to be due and we want to maintain our flexibility through those big money seasons. Uh, when Aaron Rodgers retires, it, it's going to hit him between the eyes. I'll say that um, because of how they've chosen to do the, the player bonuses. He effectively gets a, a roster bonus every year that is already baked into be like a signing bonus. So he's going to get $35 million bonus this year, but they're only going to take $7 million of it against the cap. And for the next five years, they're going to take $7 million against the cap for the bonus that he gets paid for this year. And if he plays next year, he's going to get another $35 million bonus, and they're only going to take seven of that. So he's going to get $70 million, and the Jets will have accounted for seven. Seven again, if year two of the first and year one of the first, 21. So they, they've deferred 50-something million dollars in cap space. And they do that again the third year. So you're looking at like an eight-year window for three $35 million roster bonuses. Do you want to offset that? by not restructuring some of these contracts because you have the space to, to have them in phase now. It's an interesting decision to make. If they emptied the chamber, they could get to about $62 million in cap space with the following expiring contracts. Into your offensive lineman, Connor McGovern. There's two of them. I know Buffalo has the other one that's kind of annoying. Uh, Bryce Huff, who's probably their best expiring contract, a star pass rush specialist. Former first-round pick, Mekhi Becton. Solomon Thomas is a rotational, flexible, inside-outside, uh, pass rusher, defensive lineman. Safety Chuck Clark, who was injured and missed this season. Uh, Thomas Morstead and Greg Zerline, both of their special teams players. And look, when the O's been what the O's been for the Jets the past couple of years, you got killed on special teams. And they, they've had guys that have been good in those two guys. And then the expiring contracts, uh, the voided contracts of Carl Lawson, Dwayne Brown, Jordan Whitehead, Quentin Jefferson. Uh, 
Al Woods, Billy Turner, kind of the next phase of like, they're also more, there's more expiring contracts, but not really notable names. So I don't know if I were the Jets, I would do all of this like at once and say like, let's sprint to $60 million in cap space. But the point is the Jets are going to have enough cap space to do whatever they want to do. Uh, there, there's no restrictions. And they have done fairly well, the Jets, uh, to ensure that they have the flexibility to add in the midst of onboarding the Aaron Rodgers contract. I would say the challenge for the Jets is what they need. It's the inverse of Miami. Um, they, they really need a lot of premium positions, two offensive tackles. Miami's kind of locked in there. With Armstead, we'll see if Armstead, you know, and if Armstead retires, that'll obviously throw that for a loop. But they, they've locked in two tackles on contracts. Uh, you think about the wide receivers. Garrett Wilson's a stud on a rookie contract, but they're like, they're stuck with this Alan Lazard contract that Aaron Rodgers wanted to, and he's going to eat $12 million in cap this year. And like, you can't even really get rid of it. So the the Jets are are looking sixty two sixty five million dollars. There, there's not a lot of extension candidates for them, but the question is, who are you going to pursue? What are you going to do with your draft picks? Are you going to go get big money players and kind of mirror what Miami did? Or are you going to try to continue to draft, but maybe not maximize the impact or the the assuredness that you're going to address your needs? It's a tough spot to be. So th they have the luxury of a lot more salary cap flexibility than Miami but how they choose to spend it and getting rolled up in the rat race of, of bidding for free agents. I know there's people that don't like the Toronto Armstead contract. Guess what? That's how that's, that's what the dolphins did in that situation. And they did fairly well to avoid giving Toronto Armstead the $20 million plus that like Jawan Taylor got and Armstead's comfortably better player, even though he has injury concerns. So the jets have their own stuff to figure out as well. I think they'd be wise to probably just take this one player at a time and restructure as you need the cap space. I'd move on from those handful of players, kind of get myself to some operating cap, and then say, hey, we got an opportunity to land a couple big fish. Quentin Williams, boom, 10.6. Let's max restructure. John Franklin Myers, boom, let's get $9 million in cap space. DJ Reed, boom, let's get seven. And kind of restructure as you go. That in itself uh, is very different than both Buffalo and Miami. And the New England Patriots are even more different than that. And that's what we're going to finish with here on this episode of Locked on Dolphins. Stick with us. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bets. $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all of your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. So Patriots. Uh, from a life cycle perspective, uh, the, the Patriots are the rebuilding team. Uh, bid farewell to a legendary coach. You've kind of sat on all this salary cap space. You got big names that are expiring that are young players that you're going to get a chance to commit to who you want to tie yourselves to. They're currently top three in the NFL in salary cap space. Uh, the New England Patriots are $66 million under the projected salary cap. They can save even more with two moves that I think are no-brainers. Uh, you could cut J.C. Jackson, the corner who was brought back 
after the catastrophic tenure in uh, LA with the Chargers, you could save $14 million, almost $14.5 million in addition to the $66 million you're already under the cap for JC Jackson. Yeah, I'd do that in a heartbeat. So that puts you over $80 million. <laughs> then Devon Godchow uh, is a player who's a former Dolphin, Bill Belichick, Bill loved him, and he's a solid player, but he's on the books for like an obscene amount of money. Uh, they can, he's $11.8 million cap hits, the fourth highest cap hit on the team for a 30 year old Devon Godchow. You'd save $8.3 million to move on from Devon Godchow. That's, that's what I would do. If you're going to be blank slate, be blank slate. And I get it. There, there was a decision to, uh, retain a lot of the coaching staff and continue on the pathway, but with kind of reinvigorated football operations at the top of it. Cool. Whatever. I'm still not keeping Devon Godshoff on the Patriots, but that puts you at almost $90 million. They could also trade Mac Jones, another sterling member of that 2021 quarterback class with five first round quarterbacks, uh, but you need to trade him. And if you trade him, you could save almost $3 million against the cap. So Mac Jones, Devon Gottschall, J.C. Jackson would put the Patriots at $92 million, $91.5 million against the cap. It's all the space in the world. You're going to be amongst the league leaders. What they choose to do with it, that's a different story. There's no, there's no void money contracts for the Patriots. They didn't get involved in that game with Belichick. There's no real restructure candidates for this team either. I guess maybe Matthew Judon. I guess maybe you, you can't do Jonathan Jones because he's in the last year of his deal. That's really only the tangible player with a big salary. JC Jackson is owed the biggest uh, base salary, and we're, we're cutting him in, in my mind. Jonathan Jones is the next biggest salary that you could save after the, the two cut candidates you mentioned at $8 million. And he's in the last year of his deal. So you'd have to extend him the way that we're talking about doing with Jerome Baker to save money there. And I guess you could, but he's a 31-year-old corner, probably ideally suited inside in the nickel. I don't know. I'm not sure I would touch it because you don't need to, right? They do have significant expiring contracts with Kyle Duggar at safety. He's probably their best defensive player. I know uh, Jabril Peppers had an awesome season for them this past year. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, the rookie, had his season ended with injury. Uh, Matt Judon's been a stud player, but Duggar and his versatility is is outstanding. Michael and Wayne probably their best offensive lineman. He could play guard. He could play tackle. He's played right tackle, helped stabilize that offensive line after he recovered from an injury that he was dealing with early in the season. Josh Uche is, is kind of like Bryce Huff from the Jets. He's a star pass rush player, doesn't really get a lot of rundown reps. Uh, I think Huff's a little bit more of a complete pass rusher than Uche is, uh, but he's pr probably going to get a nice bag from somebody. Hunter Henry, a tight end, that was a $12 million a year player in free agency when they signed him. Uh, Riley Reef signed a one-year deal to be a bridge right tackle. Didn't really work out. He got banged up. Big surprise there. Uh, Mike Gusecki, Ezekiel Elliott, Kendrick Bourne, Matthew Slater, Miles Bryant. Like, There's some meaningful names here for the Pats. And a couple of them, Duggar and Wayne Yu, potentially Uche, could eat a pretty significant amount, what, maybe a third? third of the cap space? And if the Patriots are smart, they'd front load those contracts. Because you don't have a quarterback, 
you got to figure out what to do with quarterback. Your wide receivers all struggle with separation. Uh, you got a lot of youth on your offensive line. You got a running back in Ramondre Stevenson who didn't live up to his expectations. Like the, if the Patriots are smart, they treat this like a rebuilding team. And the way that they set themselves up for 2025, 2026 success is they front load contracts that they give out now. And there's a couple of players like and Wayne, you and Uche and Duggar that probably weren't very serious consideration for them to do that. But even after that, if they trim the fat on the, the rest of the contract, you're, you're still talking $70 million in cap space for the past to work with. I would not recommend them doing what they did in 2020, although you do hear ownership and Robert Kraft talk about his frustrations that the Patriots have not been winning football games. And you can't help but wonder, are, are they going to be overly aggressive to try to kickstart the wins? And if they do, okay, this could be a really fun competitive division. They could go out and sign Baker Mayfield or Kirk Cousins and then draft Marvin Harrison Jr. at, at, at number three overall. And now you get a big-time wide receiver and a, a starting quarterback who you kind of know what he is. You go that route, okay. I don't know that that's enough to close the gap, even if the teams in front of them are more capped with opportunities for this offseason. So the Patriots are kind of the blank slate team. The Jets are trying to close the gap. They have the resources to close the gap. And the Bills and Dolphins have to be strategic because they've been in front of these other two teams with their current builds. And the Bills have already given out the big money contract to the quarterback, so they kind of have to play the game a little differently as they transition through players in the same way that we talked yesterday about how Kansas City transitioned through players. I'm not sure the Dolphins are going to choose to go that route if they give the contract to a tongue below. They may exhaust and then sweep and then start over. It's hard to say. There's no one right or wrong way to do it. And as you look across the AFC East, there's plenty of evidence that these teams have all chosen to go about their business very differently. And they're in very different positions. The key for Miami will be maximizing the resources that they have to stay in front of the two teams behind them and better win the margins versus the team that won the head-to-head -head tiebreakers against them to win the division this year. What is maximizing those opportunities? That's exactly what like the next month of programming is all about on the show. So come on back and see me again soon. I'm Kyle Krabs. You can keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. It's your team every day. Find us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Appreciate you guys. Check out the show. Fins up.